This episode of the Knuckleball Podcast is not sponsored by the town of Homer, New York. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those who live in the village of Homer and those who wish they live in the village of Homer. Please note that as a non-sponsor, the town of Homer and its mayor have not approved this message and have nothing whatsoever to do with its content. We thank the town of Homer for not sponsoring the Knuckleball Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of the Knuckleball Podcast. I thank you for joining. So if you have a child who likes baseball, this is about an absolute dream experience. In 2013, our son Jack wrote all the minor league teams in the area and asked if he could come interview players. A lot said yes, and it turned into an amazing adventure. Last month's podcast was about that. So in 2014, Jack set his sights even higher and wrote major league teams to see if he could come interview a player. And the Mets said yes which turned into an experience that was just incredible. I love this story, and I hope you do too. I was on a conference call when I picked the boys up from school. They were bouncing with excitement. We stopped for gas and to grab some drinks to go with their lunch, and knowing I was on a conference call and in no position to withstand his barrage of begging, Alex asked if he could get a mountain Dew. Alex has never had a Mountain Dew before. And I can't say I've ever seen anyone frolic before, but that is the only word that can accurately describe what Alex was doing as we headed back to the car. We got on the road and the boys were chattering back and forth in between long sips of Mountain Dew. It was hard to hear what they were saying because of the conference call, but then I clearly heard Alex say, It tastes even better if you shake it up! Then I heard a hiss-swoosh as his bottle erupted in a four-foot cloud of green fizz. Alex slammed his mouth over the top of the bottle and frantically sucked in the expanding soda, not wanting to waste a drop. I got off the call, started to yell at Alex, but soon, soon I was laughing instead. We all were damn fool. 90 minutes later, we crossed into New York, slid over into Queens, looped around and around the bridge ramps until it rolled us right in front of the gorgeous stadium. We got into lot G, VIP parking. Alex took a desperate four-minute pee on the curb, and then we headed towards City Field and our Mets adventure. Our host was a guy named Jonathan, He gave us our press passes and hustled us through a wide, clean, concrete tunnel and into a lobby filled with press people. He asked us to wait while he got Scott Rice, the player Jack was scheduled to interview, and in less than a minute had hustled Scott into the room. Scott Rice was very tall. Jack dug out his questions, got his recorder turned on, and started firing away. This was definitely Jack's best interview. He had prepared heavily and had 15 well-thought-out questions. Jack, Jack asked them clearly and listened to the answers. But still, ball players are trained to say nothing. In the humble cadence they use in every interview, Scott basically said, I'm just happy to be here and I hope I can help out the team. But the magic of the interview was the effect on the room around him. At about the third question, I realized that the room hadn't become suddenly quiet this little boy interviewing a giant pitcher had cast a spell on everyone people kept slipping into the room to watch and smile it went really well 
When that was over, Jonathan took us to the press room. Then Jonathan told us that when the Mets manager, Terry Collins, came in for the press conference in 45 minutes, we could sit in the back row. Hey, by the way, were you planning to stay for the game, he asked. I told him we were staying, but that this wasn't about free tickets at all. I had no problem paying for tickets. He said he'd see if there were any tickets left, but given it was Mets on a Wednesday night with a 50% chance of rain, I felt pretty good about that. Soon it was the press conference. The Mets manager, Terry Collins, came in with a crowd of reporters, and for the next 15 minutes, we get to watch them fire questions at him and listen to him banter back and forth. Jack was captivated, and Alex fired off a solid 150 photos at least. It was very, very cool. When it was over, Jonathan came back. I got your tickets, he said, but the gates don't open until 5.10, so you need us out, I finished for him. Yeah, sort of. He sent us out to the small reception room and said he'd be back down soon with the actual tickets. A woman came down to the little reception room. Here are your tickets. Uh, So the gates open in about an hour, right? Oh, you don't have to wait, she said. Just go down the hallway and they'll scan you in. Um, okay. I grabbed the tickets, turned down the hallway, headed to a turnstile. Nothing. No one was there. So we walked through. We took a left, headed down the concrete corridor. Two security guards came around the bend. Excuse me, I said, holding up our press credentials. Oh, just head back that way and take the narrow hallway on your left. We walked that way, quickly, down the hallway, a turn, another turn, and then utter insanity. We were on City Field, not in City Field. We were on City Field. David Wright and David Murphy were 10 feet away taking batting practice. Curtis Granderson was stretching over to our left. Holy moly, mackerel flaming shitballs. It was Mets, a security guard, and us. He got a solid eight Mets players to sign his glove. They even gave him one of the balls. It was awesome. And then the Mets cleared out. And then the Dodgers came out for batting practice. He got Clayton Kershaw, Yasiel Puig, Adrian Gonzalez, Hanley Ramirez, Justin Turner. You name it, he got them. I got talking with an intern who told me he had never seen a team sign so many autographs or a kid get so many signatures. He suggested we keep the ball to pay for college. For 90 minutes in total, we watched batting practice from just steps away. Beyond the autographs was just the majesty of what we were seeing. There was the whack of the ball and then silence as the ball went on and on and on. It would go so far you literally couldn't hear it as it bounced around in the black part of center field. It made me think of ski jumping. You just can't believe how long they're in the air and a little piece of your heart is in the air the whole time with them. Imagine being at the driving range with Tiger Woods, watching him drill balls, or sitting with Van Halen while they tune up their guitars before a concert. That's what this was like. We walked out slowly and in a bit of a daze. Then Alex broke the silence. Dad, I'm starving!
We headed out to get a snack. I got a beer, and the boys wanted popcorn. A tub of popcorn was six seventy-five, but a bottomless tub was ten dollars. Goldmine. The popcorn stand was right at the top of our section, so the boys could go there and get refills on their own. I saw myself saving a fortune. Let them stuff themselves on bottomless popcorn and skip dinner. Sheer brilliance. Or so I thought. We got to our seats and scarfed down the first tub. It was mushy and greasy with yellow butter and salted like mad. Alex ran to get a second tub, and when he returned, Jack announced, I'm not having any more. I want to save room for dinner. What? I screamed. You eat that popcorn, damn it! But he would not. And actually... I started slowing down, too. I was feeling a little queasy. Only Alex was able to keep shoveling it in. The game was a good one. Solid pitching, plenty of routine plays that were executed perfectly. It really came down to the Dodgers hitting three solo home runs. It looked bad for the Mets. In the fifth, we went and grabbed burgers, and the boys each got big sodas. Actually, I got the smallest ones I could find, but they were still humongous. Alex put his mega cup in the drink holder so he could lean down and suck hard from the straw. I tried to push off dessert. The boys hadn't even finished their soda, but the boys were having none of that. Two ice creams later, and we were back in the stands. In the eighth, the Dodgers got two men on with two outs, and who came out of the bullpen but Scott Rice. We went nuts for him, and he managed to strike out Adrian Gonzalez to end the inning. Just terrific. The Dodgers scored in the ninth, and then in the bottom of the inning, David Wright came up with a man on and two outs. He could tie it up with a homer, but instead he struck out to end the game. So to conclude... We have a sloppy ending, and we have a sappy ending. First, the sloppy ending. As usual, I executed a perfect exit. Out the MVP parking exit, onto the highway, over the Triborough, over the GW, and gone. Smooth sailing on the turnpike. Until I heard from the back seat, I don't feel good! There was emergency in his voice. The thick layer of popcorn, plus the giant slurpy soda, plus the ice cream, plus the burgers had come back around on Alex. Mercifully, I was passing a rest stop. I shot in. I took him to a nearby garbage can. He leaned over and... I would estimate a solid gallon of liquid came out of the boy. It was Pepsi-colored, but with grainy bits that I assumed was popcorn. It came out in less than a second, and it came out in complete silence. And now, the sappy ending. I did not know this, but at the end of every game at City Field, they play Billy Joel's New York State of Mind. Jack was born in Lenox Hill Hospital on the Upper East Side of New York City, While Shani was in labor, they came in to give her the epidural, and they insisted I leave. They told me I had to go and get some food. So I went to a deli on the corner, and as soon as I walked in, New York State of Mind came on over the speakers. I ordered a turkey sandwich on an everything bagel, and I stood there in that deli thinking, everyone in here is just going about their business like everything is normal. And they have no idea that the biggest thing in the world is happening to me. 
I'm about to be a father. The song played in its entirety. As I paid for my food and left, the song ended. The timing was exact. And to this day, hearing that song takes me to that moment in that deli. That silent moment where I got a break to take in what was happening. It's a special song to me. So I really liked hearing it at the end of such an amazing baseball experience. Today's episode was written and read by Mike Knuckles. Voice talent includes Jeff Yaus. Today's music came from Cotty Knuckles, and the song you're hearing now is Honey Bee by the Fizzy Bees, whose music is available with whatever streaming service you use. The episode was edited and produced by Mike Knuckles using Podcastle. I'm Shaney, the host of the Knuckleball Podcast. Please be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. And we'll be back on April 1st with another episode. Next month on the Knuckleball Podcast, Mike Knuckles, Social Liability. This episode is embarrassing, and you probably don't want to miss it. It will be available on April 1st.